This is FM 100.5, AM Good morning to you. Welcome into the Action Line from WGNS. This morning we are talking about law and order, a safer place for all of us to enjoy. And visiting with us from the Murfreesboro Police Department, Lieutenant Clayton Williams is here, Public Information Officer Larry Flowers, and Sergeant James Abbott. And they'll be updating us on what's happening in our community. And if you have questions dealing with law and order, Feel free to give us a call anytime, or you can text your questions to us also. We go either way, all at the same number, by the way, 615-893-1450, 615-893-1450. Let's start by saying hello to Public Information Officer Larry Flowers. Hey, Good Larry. Good morning. Good morning, Martin. How are you? Doing great. Good to have you with us today. Thank you, sir. Things have been busy lately at the Murfreesboro Police Department between the ice and snow and crime. Uh, <laughs> we, you guys have been burning the candle at both ends. Exactly. And uh, hats off to all of our officers uh, who had to... Uh, deal with the snow and the ice and the slippery street. Um, I remember one officer saying that he was driving down South Church Street, literally going, you know, 15, 20 miles per hour, but still slipping and sliding everywhere. But the good news is uh, many people heeded that warning and they stayed home. Uh, Literally from midnight to 6 a.m., we had, I meant, minimal accidents. And uh, so people did heed the warning, but... um, we did deal with dozens of accidents over that week-long period where, you know, the streets were just slick and people um, would slide off into ditches and had to have assistance. And, again, our hat goes out uh, goes off to uh, those officers who had to brave the cold, get out, you know, and, and help those motorists. But, you know, that's what it's about, you know, helping this community uh, in the time of crisis. Very definitely. Did the rain we had the other night, I know they had – some pretty heavy flooding in the county. Did we have any problems in the city? None was reported to me, so uh, that's the good news. You know, typically we have our areas of the city that um, whenever we see heavy rain that, you know, streets will flood, but uh, we kind of dodged a bullet, so to speak, this time, you know, with, um, you know, the uh, flash flooding. Well, uh, there was a, a shooting uh, over the weekend, uh, which... Uh, are people just uh, more angry over the weekend? We seem to, when we have incidents like that, they do seem to happen on the weekend. Uh, I'm not going to try to make a correlation with <laughs> okay. whether they, you know, weekend or weekday, but I can tell you anytime anyone is a uh, victim of violence in our city, whether they're our local resident or, you know, somebody visiting, you know, it's concerning all the way from our city leaders to our police chief down to our officers in uniform. So, 
Um, you know, the case you're mentioning is the uh, 18-year-old that was arrested for shooting at the Baymont Inn. That case is under investigation. Uh, great work by those detectives who, you know, made a quick arrest. So, um, you know, the uh, the victim, you know, at last check, you know, was still in critical condition at the hospital. So uh, we're still trying to figure out, you know, the motive behind that shooting. You know, even though you have an arrest, uh, you know, you know, sometimes the investigation continues. So we're trying to, uh, you know, uh, determine a motive. And if anyone was there at that hotel or saw anything, you know, feel free to reach out to uh, lead detective Julie, Julia Cox. And she can be reached at 629-201-5514 or her email at uh, 0834 at gov. So your help is needed. And, and sometimes people see things. They hear things, a lot of conversations. Uh, in fact, I've often heard that people who are involved in crimes like to brag about them. And, and so they tell friends. I'm not sure why they tell friends, but they do tell friends those things. And uh, maybe you've heard something. Yeah, well, that, that's often the case. Uh, you know, they will talk about what happened. And, again, you know, we're just thankful that, our detectives and our officers were able to make a quick arrest in this case. And, um, you know, but, you know, there are other unsolved cases that, you know, we can definitely use your help on. So if you do hear something or see something, you know, feel free to reach out to the department. And that's one of the reasons that Sergeant James Abbott is with us this morning. Uh, he has an un- unsolved case. In fact, a cold case. Good morning to you. Good morning, sir. Tell us, when did this happen? Tell us a little about this cold case. Uh, the current one that we're looking at, and I apologize, I've got some sinus issues this morning, uh, was July the 15th, 2016, uh, at around 9.30 p.m. Uh, Fausto Hernandez was found shot behind uh, Marco's Pizza there at 1208 East Northfield Boulevard. Uh, in that case there, uh, Mr. Hernandez was from Texas. He'd come up here and was working and staying with family members. And uh, in the evenings, he would walk over to the store and then sit on the rocks back there behind the uh, store because the family members that he was staying with had children. And so he would like to sit on the rock and talk to his wife while uh, while sitting there, uh, talking with her, peace, you know, private, and maybe in some peace there to have a conversation with her. Um, and apparently during this period... Uh, we know that according to Mr. Hernandez, an African-American male walked up on him and uh, shot him. Uh, that was about all we could get from Mr. Hernandez uh, due to the first responders that were working on Mr. Hernandez. Uh, he was transported to Vanderbilt University Medical Center, where he later passed away. Now, what was the date on that again? Uh, it was July the 15th, 2016. Okay. <clears throat> now, oftentimes people are afraid to talk when when the case happens because they're afraid of uh, people coming and hurting them. But over the years, that seems to uh, change a little bit. So you're hoping that maybe somebody will come forward now. That's correct. Uh, over the years, most people, a lot of people will, will lose that fear. Uh, also, during that time period, like you said, people will talk. Uh, some people will actually brag about it. Uh, we had one a few years ago. An individual actually started discussing it with um, uh, a friend of his uh, about a murder that he did here in Murfreesboro. So, um, you know, and, and of course, 
when we brought that individual in, uh, he confessed to the murder and, and gave us specific details. Um, and, and, and I'll say this about the, that's one reason why a lot of times we don't release a lot of information on these cases uh, up front, particularly if they go unsolved or cold case for a while, because uh, a lot of times only the suspect's going to know specific details. And so what happens is um, when someone comes to us and says, hey, this person told me he did this or she did that, uh, one of the things that we like to do is is see what type of information they specifically have. Um, you know, if we say that this person was, in this case, uh, the individual was strangled with bungee cord uh, in, in that case that we solved, um, prior to that, we had numerous people that tried to use his death to try to help themselves out of jail by saying, oh, yeah, I know what happened. Um, he was strangled by this guy by his bare hands, or he did this, or they, they bludgeoned him with a um, with a bat. And, and we knew none of that was true based on the crime scene and the medical examination. Um, and so when we did find someone who come forward and said, hey, I know this person, he said he strangled him with bungee cord, we knew this person actually had good, reliable information. Uh, and so that's that's one reason why a lot of times we keep in when we discuss uh, homicides or shootings uh, and we do not have an immediate suspect or something, we don't give all the details is because a lot of times, uh, you know, this is going to come back uh, some years later. It might it might help us. So this one is July 15th, 2016. And if you've heard anything about this, heard somebody bragging uh, who should should they contact you? Uh, they can contact me uh, at the Murfreesboro Police Department. Uh, my office number is 615-893-2717. Okay. Uh, you, you've got one of the uh, old area code numbers. How, yes, how did you manage that? Everybody else has the 209. <laughs> he can't, he took his old phone with him. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, a lot of times I'll give the that's the the office to the CID number, and mm-hmm. the reason why I say that for is because I want them to be able to speak to a detective. And if I'm not there, if you answer call my six two nine number, a lot of times it's going to go straight to my voicemail. Uh, and if I really want, you know, it may be something pressing. I want another detective to follow up on immediately. In that case that I'm telling that was telling you about with the gentleman with the bungee cord, another detective took the phone call that day and was on the phone with this person and remembered that we had worked a case similar to this a few years earlier. And so he knew right then to give us a call instead of just sending out a blast email to all CID saying, hey, does anybody remember this case or working this case? So it's always good to have another detective, you know, when you have other detectives there to, to take those calls. How many detectives do we have at Murfreesboro <clears throat> Police? Oh, I would hate to guess right now. Um, between us and Special Investigations Division, uh, I would I would have to de- 40, 50, 40, yeah, between wow. 40 and 50 detectives. That, that's quite a few. I mean, uh, we're getting to the point of uh, we could have our own TV show. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with the new facility that we have on, on Highland Avenue, has this enabled you to do investigative work that you could not do before? It has. Uh, the, the new facility has, has been tremendous help with us uh, as far as with the lab. Uh, also, with the t- just the technology that we've brought in you know, over the last few years. Uh, you know, one, I keep bragging about using NIBIN, the National Integrated Ballistics Imaging uh, Device Technology. Um, that has been a tremendous help. We really want to really utilize that 
to uh, to max my efforts this next year in 2021. Um, and, and some of the ways that we're doing that is, is when we go out here to these crime scenes, collecting all the shell casings, um, and trying to get those entered into the Nibin system to, to track, like I said, we've, and I've talked to you before, I think maybe said some, um, tracking cases from in other cities to other guns, other shootings, but it's really a, um, an, an excellent tool when you, when you may have, several case linkages and you may not have enough evidence on one case to identify a suspect but when you can link three cases that all three of those cases now provide you enough evidence for a suspect um so it's very important that that we we try to use that and and that's one of the great tools that we've gotten in just the last couple of years after we moved into the building um of course our lab uh, we have aphis uh, which is our fingerprint system um like I said, it, it's just it's been a tremendous effort. Everything's all in one building. Uh, it's very convenient uh, to go down and, and pull evidence and take a look at it. And because and, and, a lot of times, even even in homicide investigations, you may see the evidence out there at the crime scene. Um, but as you're investigating, or if, as you're interviewing witnesses, or even the suspects, you may want to go back and look at that evidence again. And as you go, and, and now that you're in one building, it's not like you've got to stop what you're doing, drive across town, and go to the evidence room and pull that out. You can walk right downstairs, pull that evidence out, feel it, look at it, hold it, um, and, and and go right back to your office. Uh, also, another thing that helps us um, tremendously in CID is our interview rooms. Um, are set up where we can actually look at them at our watch them at our desk as well. So we may be in there conducting an interview myself and one of, one of the detectives in my unit may be interviewing a uh, individual suspect. And if he gives us a nickname or some other kind of information, we can try to look that up in our old reports um, or possibly gives us another name of another uh, individual that was involved with them in the crime or a witness. Uh, we can try to start pulling th- their information. And, and locating that person, another detective sitting at their desk, so that we can cooperate what that individual has told us. Now, you had mentioned about going in and pulling evidence and things of this sort, and I envision a movie where you see them going into sort of a warehouse room with racks and racks, floor to ceiling with boxes and all case numbers identified on the boxes. Is, is that what we have here? That's what we have here. Um, uh, most of the cases, now some of the cases may not necessarily be in a box. Now most of the cases like we work involving shootings and homicides, we box those and, and those are kept in a box because the, those cases, uh, and we also have one area for those kind of cases because a lot of times those cases may, some of them will go unsolved, um, but we never quit trying to investigate them. Um, also, a lot of times, like homicides, uh, we, we, we did the, um, looked at, did a, a, a review recently of, of some of our homicides and, and looked at how many of them were still in court. Uh, we've got homicide cases from 2015 still in court. So, I mean, we're talking six years later, those, those cases are still moving through the court system. Why um, are they going so slowly? <clears throat> Well, what, some of the problems is 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 the past year is COVID. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. Right. I mean, that's you know, I, I know the fact that a lot, several of them were lined up for for trials, and and, and COVID came along. Um, so I mean, and a lot of times these cases they do take time. I mean, there's a lot of physical evidence. Um, you know, there's a lot of information, uh, witnesses, and not only for prosecution but for the defense. I mean, they have to. They have, there's a, a tremendous amount of work on those kind of cases. Um, and, and then sometimes, uh, you know, attorneys move or, or get changed around. 
Um, you know, so it, it, it takes time for a lot of those cases sometimes to get through. Is every unsolved case in the in the room where, where I mean, do you have boxes on every unsolved case? We have boxes on most of the unsolved cases that we have. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I mean, you know, trying we have to kind of piece sometimes the seventies and eighties back. You know, and then even the be prior to that. Um, you know, uh, police record management systems were were not. Um, not the automated systems we have today um and so back then it was a hard copy file kept in a box um i remember a few years ago they were discussing the cold cases at rutherford county uh they were talking about the rutherford county jail and at one point uh, some of the cold case evidence uh some of their cold case evidence someone was telling me had been uh damaged because they had a water leak in their evidence room back years ago not not recently i'm talking probably 80s or 90s when this when this occurred so um maybe even the 70s so a lot of times you know back then it's not as like i said it's not as automated as it is today um and so a lot of things get old boxes Uh, i've pulled evidence before from from crime scenes from investigations from the 90s and late 80s and even the tape that we used back in those days uh, to seal up evidence at crime scenes is very is now brittle and just literally falling apart. Even the paper that the evidence packs, uh, I had to re I had to repackage all the evidence for those cases. Um, so yeah, it's it's one of those things where you have to kind of piece it. Um, and, and one of the, that's one of the things why we do it the way we do it now for is to make sure that we always have accountability of that evidence. It's boxed. It's also bagged, but it's also boxed and kept in one particular area. Does DNA evidence change? I mean, if you were looking at old DNA evidence from the 70s or something of that sort, what would it be? Something like hair or that? Or or is there anything else that you would still have? DNA today would actually be improved, uh, believe it or not. Uh, When I first started in the the mid-90s, I mean, you would literally need a, a... a DNA sample about the about the size of a half a dollar uh, to actually run a test and actually get a a, a comparison DNA or, or a, a hit. Uh, today you can use skin cells, uh, just a little bit of, of sweat in your collar or, or hair follicle uh, can give us that DNA. So now uh, that's one of the things. A lot of the, that's one of the reasons why they had a lot of success initially with cold cases was that they looked at these cold cases uh, using DNA and was able to uh, uh, go back and, and use smaller amounts of needed smaller amounts of DNA now than they did back then. And so if you had the shirt of the deceased person, the one who was murdered, it would have that evidence still preserved in the shirt. Right, if it was, if it was collected properly, yes. Now, I'm not going to sit there and say it may not, you know, back in those days, uh, you know, uh, you know, now I will say that a lot of, I mean, a lot of back in the 70s, 80s, uh, they were still practicing really good techniques of evidence collection. Um, uh, You know, prior to that, you know, the 60s and the 50s and and even before that, that, you know, that was a little bit more. Well, they had no clue. They really had no. No, I mean, I remember I remember reading about uh, crime scene photos being taken by private photographers in the in town they would actually contract with uh private photographers in different cities across the united states to to do crime scene photographs you know 
Uh, and that's how come a lot of times crime scene photographs back in the in those days got released to the media and things is these people would sell that information. Are crime scene photos still important today <clears throat> as much as they were say even in the 30s and 40s and 50s? They're extremely important. They're extremely important. Um, but with crime scene photography, I mean, it gives you an idea of what you're looking at. Uh, but at the same time, it puts uh, it, it also puts it more in, in, in context when you start looking at um, diagrams and, and uh, digital uh, layouts um, or diagrams of the crime scene. I mean, we have systems now that can actually map a crime scene. And so you'll see these different uh, items in that crime scene mapping uh, image. And then you've got the actual photo that, that – so you got both the crime scene diagram that really gives you a good idea or view of the crime scene itself and then the photograph as well that the jury can hold in their hands and look at. Okay, so they're good in courts too. I mean, they're good. very good in court. Our phone number six one five eight nine three fourteen fifty. We're going to pause for just a moment. We have a few questions coming in from text that the listeners are sitting in. The number six one five eight nine three fourteen fifty. We will be right back. We're going to check on the traffic and weather. There is no safer place in the storm. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro, FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, TV 11. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the things when we were looking at trying to craft our menu to help those who are dieting is the side dishes. A lot of times we were so used to eating starches and unhealthy side dishes. In addition to our spinach, which we've had on the menu from the start, we've added zucchini and green beans, but we've also added broccoli. The broccoli is properly steamed so it's not too soft and not too hard. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner seven days a week at Demas's. Hi, this is Dan with Music World and Drummer's Den. I'm the guitar tech here. I do setups and repairs. The setup is where you make your guitar play as well as it ever will, whether you're a professional or a beginner. You need this done at least a couple of times a year to get the most out of your instrument. We also have lessons, $25 for a half hour of keys, anything with strings, and drums. Music World and Drummer's Den, 2762 South Church, right across from Indian Hills Golf Course. Good morning. Traffic flow is still heavy on 24 here coming past 840, but at least it's moving here up by Epps Mill Road. We've seen a lot of radar out here this morning. Sections of I-24, especially as you head towards Manchester, slow it down. Traffic's busy as expected this time of the morning inbound on Las Cassius Pike. Check out the Andre Chicken Sandwich, which is now available at Princess Hot Chicken, 5814 Nolensville Pike. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. We'll see mostly sunny skies here for this afternoon with a high in the low 60s. Winds out of the northwest to 5 to 10 miles per hour. For tonight, mostly clear skies, a low of 34. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 33. Old friends, new name, better together. As First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County but will always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. 
Member FDIC Equal Housing Lender. Receive breaking news, sports scores, traffic, and weather bulletins on your cell phone. Sign up for text alerts at WGNSRadio.com. Welcome back. Our phone number is 615-893-1450. Sergeant James Abbott is with us along with Lieutenant Clayton Williams and Public Information Officer Larry Flowers. Don't be bashful and don't call us three minutes before the end of the show with a question. Call us now if you have a question or text it to us all at 615-893-1450. Here's an interesting comment from a listener. They said that their grandfather was a detective with the Los Angeles Police Department, and uh, he gave them uh, his crime photo album, and they said they look at it once in a while but not very often because it's really gory. They said this is from the 30s and has pictures of decapitated uh, persons and things of that sort. Uh, was that just what was what it was like in the 30s, or, or do you have uh, crime photos like that now? Oh, no, we, we have some very, uh, you know, we have photos like that now. Um, you know, one of the things that when I first got into law enforcement, um, we used regular film, 35-millimeter film, so we would use, uh, we would go out and take uh, at a crime scene, particularly one that was rather uh, uh, bloody or, or graphic, maybe is a better term for it. Uh, we would actually use color photos to take for the DA and for us to be able to look at and analyze. But we would also take black and white photos. And this way you would not be getting the colorized blood and, and all the, the graphic detail of, of the death so that you could show those to a jury so that way it wouldn't be discriminatory toward the uh, the defendant in a trial because it is very it is very prejudicial if you look at some of those photos uh with now digital cameras we no longer have that issue we can print off a set in color and if there is uh, a question about one that's maybe too graphic then the uh it can be printed in black and white a lot of times though the courts now just kind of let you allow uh, or will a lot of times will allow us to just basically kind of describe also in detail what we're the, the visualizing in that photograph. Who determines that? The district attorney, the judge, the police officer? Uh, it would be the judge who would who would determine the discre- the prejudicial status of the, whether or not that is prejudicial toward the defendant. Uh, like I said, normally we we prepare and plan for that before we walk in there in the courtroom. Though the DA is already fully aware. Our phone number is 615-893-1450. Here's a text from another listener. says, I know of two shootings over the weekend. How come we only hear about one of the shootings? Uh, any any reason on that? says they, we, they have two shootings over the weekend, but we're only talking about one of the shootings. Okay. Are you familiar with the other no. one? Yeah, let me check and see if uh, if I got that one that you're speaking of. We're, we're at a point, I guess, now. Yeah, the one at the Baymont Inn. And, uh, There's a lot going on in Murfreesboro right now. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, we didn't put any information out about a second weekend shooting, so uh, they could be confused with another area. If they have the 
what what they're talking about, I can look that one up. Yeah, we, we did have we have a, we had shots fired. We had a couple of shots fired this weekend. Okay, yeah, that's different than actual yeah. shooting. So uh, yeah, uh, could have been just a shots fired call. And if you have a specific location or something, text us back with that because it's. Uh, it's a little vague right now. Uh, they're they're not aware of that other one either. Six one five eight nine three fourteen fifty. Before we go into some more questions, I understand you have some job openings, Larry, at the police department. Right. Um, currently, uh, I mean, the easiest way to find out any current openings for uh, the police department is you can go to our webpage, uh, MurfreesboroTN.gov forward slash police and click on the employment link, and that will take you to our employment page. We have a wonderful recruitment page, and on that page um, you can click on police recruits, and it'll take you and uh, explain, you know, the job openings that we have. Um, We currently have uh, openings for police recruits, and those will be, you know, new officers. Uh, We're always uh, looking for any certified or lateral, lateral officers. That means officers from other departments or may have moved to Murfreesboro. They're looking to stay in law enforcement. So we have uh, openings for that as well. And in our 911 dispatch center, uh, we also have uh, openings for um, emergency communication specialist one and emergency communication specialist two. Uh, The specialist one is typically your call taker until they finish like a 12 month uh, training program. I mean, uh, a program where they, you know, will work alongside with the dispatcher, and then once they commit, uh, finish that training, they will, you know, move up to uh, specialist two. So we currently have those openings. So so both openings for certified officers, uh, new officers, in addition to civilians like uh, dispatchers and call takers. And I would venture to say that uh, you never get in a rut in a job at the police department because every day is different. (laughs) Every day is different. Every call is different. I was speaking with some of those dispatchers, and, you know, when you look at it, they're like the first first responders. They're the ones dealing with those uh, distraught people on the other end of the phone. And so it's their job to remain calm, to relay that information to the officers in the field so we can get help as uh, quickly as possible. Okay, we did get a comment back from this person. He said that he thinks that the other one was in the county. So that would have uh, two totally separate uh, law enforcement agencies. Uh, You had mentioned something during the break, Larry, that was interesting. Uh, You said something else is in the property room. Uh, I mean, and, and which made me envision this must be a like a gymnasium or something. <laughs> it's a huge place. Yeah, I'm not sure about the exact square footage, but it, it is huge. Um, the, our property room uh, is run by our, our evidence techs. And in addition to cases like homicides and evidence and things of that nature, we also house any uh, stolen property, any recovered property. And our main goal is to return those uh, that property to the rightful owner. Uh, for example, if someone breaks in your house and steals your your, your TV, and we happen to recover that TV, and, um, you know, it's, you know we keep that in that property room until we can get it back to the rightful owner. And so, uh, basically, if, if we can't find the owner, we will keep that property for uh, a certain length of time, 
and then uh, eventually that property could be sold, you know, um, in uh, in one of our auctions. So uh, you can definitely reach out to our property room if you think you have anything that, you know, any property that's been recovered. Like someone may have lost a wallet while walking on the Greenway and it was turned into the police department or a cell phone. We keep those items and try to get them back to the rightful owner. So if there's not any identifiable information included in the wallet or if we can't get in the cell phone to see what phone it is we'll keep that in the property room but um people can definitely call the police department and check and we can try to get it back to them very good that's 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 Mm -hmm. the great thing about having that property room the size it is now is is that we're able to put our case files and things like the murder cases and things in there so that uh you know when it when the case is closed or even when the case is still open if we need a storage place for it because you know the detectives have limited space in their cubicle still uh that they can store this in the property room and that way graphic crime scene photographs and things don't don't grow legs and wind up in homes and things you know 50 60 80 years later yeah. so we've got like a good control of, <laughs> yeah so we've got good control of the case file and, and information so that graphic things like that don't get out you know back in those days i mean they there was a lot of things that was really it's really interesting times i like reading about those times <laughs> good morning you're <clears throat> on wgns how are good you good morning hi did they ever find out anything about the FedEx truck that was robbed over here in Hawkins area? The FedEx truck that was robbed in the Hawkins area. Anybody have anything on that? The FedEx truck? It was uh, Amazon. It was, Amazon. It was an Amazon, Amazon truck. truck. Uh, Detective Cox is working that case. Um, uh, at this time, we have no we have no new leads other than the vehicle description that was boloed out. Uh, we followed up on some vehicles that were given to us. That was at Christmas, wasn't it? That was around right before Christmas, yes, sir. Yes, uh-huh. um, And so th- we have been looking into that case um, and, and following up and also working with Amazon and trying to make sure that, you know, trying to get a little bit more information uh, because those type of robberies uh, are, are a little bit more planned. They, a lot of times they're not just, you know, random robberies. Uh, also, I will say that we have seen across the nation uh, when we were looking at that, we we check with different <clears throat> sources uh, out there, regional information, crime center, ROCIC, TBI, and others. And uh, this is actually a, an ongoing problem that we've seen this past year across the nation. Uh, probably with as, because I guess as many people are now ordering more on Amazon and they're doing more deliveries. Uh, and unfortunately, we, we probably will see more of this type of crime. Okay. Does that help you out, ma'am? Thank you. Thank you. You have a great day. 615-893-1450. Uh, and with something like that, was there a... a do they know specifically what was taken so that people who are waiting for whatever they ordered uh, won't just keep waiting? Uh, maybe it'll be resent to them. Yes, sir. Amazon. Amazon, actually, uh, we worked with Amazon. And, and, of course, Amazon worked with their driver and, and, and worked with getting the information out as far as what they had that, that was not taken and what was, was taken. Um, believe it or not, I mean, it is a... It's as detailed as a military operation, their deliveries. Uh, I mean, their their delivery schedule, you know, they've got specific times that they're supposed to be at this point or this location, um, and, and they're, they're monitoring and tracking all this uh, throughout the day, uh, the Amazon. So uh, it's it's really very uh, intricate uh, how they, how they uh, follow up with that information. 
And here's a text question that just came in, and it has Clayton Williams written all over it. Well, and, you know, in my mind, it has Clayton written all over it. Uh, Clayton, this is from a listener who said they have hit a pothole, and uh, it has uh, warped their rims on their car. And they're asking, will the city repay them for their loss? What do they need to do? Well, that uh, I can speak to a little bit about that. Um, we definitely want to get that reported because we don't want uh, that to continue to happen and cause the same problem. Um, if they did not do so, they probably need to file a report uh, to document the event. Um, and then my best advice for them would be I would contact my insurance agent or adjuster and let them know what happened. And if there is liability there uh, that's assessed, most of the time those negotiations and conversations happen between someone with the insurance representative and the Office of Risk Management or Legal Department. And uh, that's that's where I would start. So uh, as far as if the city is liable for that, I don't really, I can't really say and speak to that. I have to have more information, but that's where I would start. Yeah, I'll have to say the, the city has been excellent in uh, fixing some of these potholes. There have been yeah. quite a few of them. And you'll see more with after um, the city, you know, this recent ice and snow, trying to get the roads clear. Sometimes those things are uh, unintended consequences of trying to get the path cleared out. And so just advise people to maybe slow down a little bit and be careful in this uh, they try not to i say try not to i know i've talked with uh, some folks at streets and many times those patches and things you kind of have to wait to get out of this winter season in order to make those things adhere and, and make them last so you'll probably see those crews getting back out here very soon remedying some of those things and if you have those issues um you can call us uh, uh to report or the city directly and get them to use to the street department so okay. and Bart, if i may add uh the majority of those problems with the pothole happened on i-24 oh, okay. that's where you had dozens of cars pulled to the side after getting flat tires uh murfreesboro police department does not patrol the interstate so they would need to you know, seek uh, uh, Tennessee State Highway Patrol and Rutherford County Sheriff's Office in that particular case. But if it was in city limits, uh, then, as Clayton uh, mentioned, uh, Lieutenant Williams mentioned that, you know, you would reach out to us. But be mindful, even though it's in Murfreesboro, if it's on the interstate, that's out of our jurisdiction. We do not patrol the interstate, so we wouldn't have any control over that. Very good. Here's a, another question going in a different direction. As far as officers and regular staff at Murfreesboro Police, are there very many original employees, and by original they say uh, who've been with the force for 20 or 30 years? Well, um, I was going to say we got <laughs> we one. got here. one raised his hand right you know, here. <laughs> 20 or 30 sounds like a long time. Sergeant but, James Abbott. But uh, I know in my hiring class I've got a lot of people that are still, in the, and I'm I just hit number 17 this year. so I'm, You're just a kid then. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm just approaching uh, uh, 20. But I know the other day there was a statistic. Um, I think right now within the police department, we've got at least 25 people that have um, either their time in or their um, age in to where they could be eligible for retirement. So, yeah, we've that's a good number. And those are things that, as Larry was talking about, why we're – trying to be very diligent on hiring people because we understand that um, those phases happen. We've had a lot of retirements this year uh, of folks, uh, and those things are going to continue. So, 
Yeah, you know, people, you're, you're looking for new persons to come in and fill openings. And, and uh, want to ask uh, Sergeant James Abbott, since you raised your hand about being employed there for, for a long period of time, uh, what is it that made you stay I mean, there's something you must really enjoy it, or you wouldn't have stayed all these years. I do enjoy my job. I mean, I I, I really enjoy criminal investigations. That was kind of my my niche, where you know I, I got into something. Uh, I've always enjoyed working that type of those type of cases. Some officers enjoy doing patrol work all their career. Uh, others look at uh, administrative type positions and things to move. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed in criminal investigations, and, and here at Murfreesboro, I had that opportunity to to work in that field and stay in that field. So that's that's one reason why. Um, you know, I also come from. You know, I I grew up in a, in a blue collar home. You know, we were taught you get a job, you keep stay on it, especially if it's got benefits. If you've got retirement, you keep it, you stay on it. You know, and. Uh, I was taught that at an early age, and and so that's that's one reason why I've stayed. Also, I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I knew that this was. I, I always was looking when I found this job. I was looking for a job where I knew I can retire in it, and I'll have benefits, and, and you know, and I can, I can, you know, enjoy my retirement afterwards. Where are you from here? I mean, did you just? I'm originally from Winchester. Okay, it's not too far. No, sir. I, I came here actually to go to MTSU. Okay. That seems to be one of the real draws for a lot of the population. They they come here to college, and they like it, and they stay. They they do. I mean, uh, you know, I uh, it, it's I came to MTSU and I enjoyed living here, and, and uh, eventually came to work here in Murfreesboro. And uh, ironically, now I'm I'm going to UTC in Chattanooga, and I keep talking to my wife about how much I'm you know I like Chattanooga now. And, it's like you know, hey, look, look, you know, and she's from that area, so Chattanooga. So I'm like, you know, hey, maybe maybe we could retire down there. I kind of like down there as well. I mean, it's it's yeah. very nice. It's um, it's a, uh, a city that's definitely transforming, and, and um, so you know, it, it's really nice down there as well. It's like a vacation all the time over there. It it is. We're gonna pause and check on the traffic and weather. We'll be back and wrap up the show. So if you have a question, ask it quickly. Hey, hi, and hello there. Rutherford Issues with Brian Barrett. Fun lovers and truth seekers. Weekday mornings at 10 on WGNS AM FM online. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Family Staffing Solutions is proud of our local veterans. I'm Becky Bookner, and as life challenges appear, talk with Family Staffing Solutions about how we can help you stay at home. Call Family Staffing Solutions. Family Staffing Solutions. Have you experienced the nightmare of water, mold, or fire damage? Call Restoration One for a free estimate. Veteran and locally owned, fast and available 24-7. Restoration One offers preventative maintenance so that you never have to experience a loss like this again. Restoration One, the water damage experts. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. 
United States Army in 1967, and I got out in 1969. In this salute, we talked to a veteran who fought in the Vietnam War. My base pay was $81 when I went into the Army, and they said if you go to jump school and jump out of the airplanes, we'll pay you an additional $55. I said, wow, that's what I chose to do. We're talking with Russell Ashton. Of course, it was a lot of good training. I mean, we're talking about getting physically fit. And I'm sure boot camp was a whole lot different back then compared to today. It's a different world. It sure is. You're a veteran who served during a wartime. The average citizen, I don't think they understand what that means. I don't think they understand what things you may have seen. And it's hard to even comprehend when you start to think about it. That's right. I just think about it all the time. No one has ever looked through my eyes and no one has ever worn my boots. I guess that's hard for other people to understand. People here in the great America don't have a clue what's going on in the world. They're just standing around in the dark in broad open daylight. What was life like after you got out of Vietnam and came back home? I immediately went to work due to the fact of how my parents raised me up. I thank God every day for the way that my mother and father raised me up. This has been a Salute to Veterans on WGNS Radio. You can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or KidLinkServices.com. Hey, neighbor, when you talk, others listen. If it's on Good Neighbor Talk, keep it here. WTNS. AM, FM, online. Welcome back. Our phone number is 615-893-1450. And we're talking law and order. We have about three or four minutes left in the program this morning. And, Clayton, we have a, another question here, and, and you, you sort of threw it back in our lap, but I'll pass this out. Uh, they said, what about the old location? What's going to happen there? Well, the only thing I can say about that, that for certainty is that, uh, you know, that's a city-owned property, um, and with everything that is going on in, in planning, um, they're looking at options about what to do with that and the best uh, – the best plan for the city overall as in in the church street area going up to the square and uh, you know you have the library there up on the corner of the city parking garage and wgns building and then the other two police buildings just below so um i think they're looking at that and studying what they feel like the best uh idea is for that i can tell you it's not going to be anything that we're looking at reusing or repurposing it and the police standpoint so you know, if somebody really has some insight on that or interested in property development, they just probably need to contact the planning department and, and uh, or city council, and they can discuss that probably further. And I would say that COVID-19 and the pandemic has had a, a definite impact because, well, you can look up at the old Methodist Church. That was a project that was going yeah. gung-ho forward, mm-hmm. and it's not going anywhere at this time. Yeah, there were, especially when you start thinking about uh, because I believe that church being a multi-purpose, you know, planned space, including like a, some hotel and, and maybe event or space things, you know, COVID kind of really had a deep impact on those kind of things anyway, that tourist stuff. So, um, yeah, that that probably set some things back. And in the same way with these properties, I know uh, the water 
department building, fire admin building over there, and things like that. There's there's been a lot of talk, and a lot of those plans, you know, they start, they have, that's part of it. You start kind of far back and and, and shoot those ideas around, and then once you kind of have some conceptual things, ask for uh, response from people that would like to develop that, um, and you know those folks too have make large investments when those things happen and they have to make sure that the risk and the timing is evaluated properly so that they turn out the way that they're intended to be you know we definitely don't want and the city does a very good job about this we don't want to sign somebody up to start a project and then all of a sudden them say ah we went bankrupt or we changed our mind you know and, and then we were left with a half something done so uh yeah those things are vetted very very thoroughly to make sure that doesn't happen we have about a minute left in our broadcast. Uh, James, any final thoughts you want to share? Uh, I just like I said, if you have any information, anybody has any information about any of the shootings, cold cases, anything, anything about any type of criminal activity, please bring it to us. Uh, please call us. Uh, again, we can't do our job without the community's help. It's very important that we have that help and uh, assistance from the community. And so, I just ask that they, uh, you know, assist us with any information they may have. And Larry, for any future telecommunicators or officers, where should they contact? Who should they contact? They can contact our HR department at the police department or simply go to our website, uh, murfreesboro.tn.gov forward slash police. Click on employment and all the details are there. Our focus today on the Murfreesboro Police Department. Thank you for joining us. Truman is next right here on WGNS. WGNS.